So, let's talk about fandoms. They are possibly one of the core building blocks of pop culture, creating spaces for us to talk about the stories that we love with people who are just like us. Right? Right? Oh, you know what? Oh, okay, so maybe that's not entirely the case. As a matter of fact, screw that. Fandoms suck. It's a place where a ton of toxic people come together and shove a ton of bigotry and hero worship down the rest of our throats. Or is it hate? Hero hate? Wait, wait, wait! Which one is it? Are fandoms bad or are they good? Is there a way that they become toxic or are they just born that way? Today, we take a look to try and find out on this episode of The Return of the Movie. And hello everyone and welcome to The Return of the Movie. Today we are talking about, well, you guessed it, it's toxic fandom time. We've been kind of waiting to do this and figure out a way to talk about Star Wars on the channel. And this is the only way to talk about Star Wars. But I have a couple people to introduce first. We have our normal other co-host, Abraham, who you might recognize from Too Fast a Movie. And we have a very special guest, Callie. And Callie, you are from um, two different little properties that we are very happy to give a plug. You are with Melon Muses and Urban Force, I believe. Mm-hmm, that's right. So um, I just want to go over for like our audience and your credentials because she got credentials. Um, exactly, like what are those two proper? What are those two things? And what's your background in all of this? Okay, well, hello, everybody. I'm Callie. I am the second part of Melanin Muses. We are basically a podcast that talks about wellness and innovation and just expressing the perspective of melanated people in the world around us. I am also a part of Urban Force, previously known as Urban Jedi Knights. We are a fan base that utilizes Star Wars-like concepts in lightsaber choreography and performances. And uh, you got some pretty cool shit. We're actually going to show a little bit of it on the screen right now. Sorry, audio listeners. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like a really cool project. Uh, we've actually had a chance to be a part of it in helping with uh, some production elements. And um, y'all should go check out the uh, GoFundMe for their um, web series pilot. It's a time. We're like super excited to see that thing all the way through. Very I'm like excited. so stoked. It looks so damn good. We're so excited to be part of it, but I digress because we have to talk about fandoms. So we gotta we gotta touch on the fandom thing. We're gonna be talking about really how is it that fandoms become toxic today? And unfortunately, there is the big hanging cloud of Kenobi right now. So I do wanna say at the time of this recording. Episode it's, five just came out, but we have I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Me neither. One of the big clouds hanging over Kenobi, as everyone in the future will remember, is the general racism and sexism that also pollutes the Star Wars fandom. So we're just going to have to dive straight into that today because that's going to be a big governing cloud here. Yeah. For some reason, we all forgot that racism was a thing in fandoms mm -hmm. up until recently because up until recently, people weren't casting people of color in movies, period, for major roles. And then the Star Wars sequel trilogy rolls around and then suddenly we start seeing everything coming out. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know because even the prequel trilogies, the the actor who played Jar Jar Binks, mm, like, remember when I, he got bullied off the internet? Early? Well, that was early internet. That, that was early yeah. internet. So, I mean, 
it's kind of been a thing for a while. I would, but here's the thing: I don't think it was in the like main conversation though. Like we weren't talk, we were talking about that as like internet bullying and like his race was less of a known thing because he was playing a CGI fair. character. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, racist things were definitely said to uh, were the definitely actor. said to that actor. Um, there's, I'm not saying that that's not the case at all, but it definitely wasn't in the forefront the way that we think of now. That's fair. Yeah. Like, I think after the fact, when the actor was revealed to be yeah. um, a black man, that's when people really started to go in. Most people didn't enjoy Jar Jar Binks because they thought he was... Ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term, but it got worse. Yeah. Once they realized that he was in fact a man of color. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, this is not an un, uh, this is not an uncommon thing. Uh, and Star Wars definitely just well. What now we can very clearly see a history of it as far as black characters are concerned. I mean, like Lando, like the choice to <laughs> cast Lando as a man of color back in the day. The only reason why that felt safe was because he would eventually be a villain mm. in Hollywood's eyes. He would be a villain for just a brief moment, and then in episode three, he would have mm. a little bit of redemption. Okay. So you could kind of get away with like, oh, he's not actually a main character. He's going to be doing a little bit of antagonistic work. So we're kind of okay with that uh, because, I mean, like, the fact is, is that everyone threw a fucking fit when there was a black stormtrooper. So, I, like, I don't remember the discourse around you don't the remember John. The, I don't know. You don't remember that? No. Okay. Was, so, it, was it like? Was it, it was bad. It was bad. Um, wow. Because the issue was, was that, I mean, there's a lot of issues with how the sequel trilogy happened. And I will say that fandom is right about a couple small things. It, like, I don't think that they are great movies. Hmm. I think that those movies deserve some criticism. I think that they deserve the kind of criticism that they got. And I, do I think that Disney made the right moves? No. Um, well, yeah. Well, there's a difference between criticizing the writing or the arcs of a character or potentially even like the way that an actor is portrayed by the actor, like acting choices versus who the person playing the character is yeah. and why they themselves are not well fit just based on their identity, which mm-hmm. is at the crux of a lot of the arguments that I've seen for honestly it's just uh, Moses Ingram that's yeah. the most recent one mm-hmm. um, John Boyega yeah, I, I, jo- John Boyega later on um, yeah it, I, I mean John Boyega the, the whole there can't be black stormtrooper things that happens because originally a lot of people in the lore thought like oh stormtroopers have to be the clones so there should only be one face but that's stormtrooper. But there's a difference between saying this this they can't be different than a clone versus they, they can't, can't be, be black, black, which is what was happening yes. on the internet. Uh, I agree. I'm like this is like I feel like sometimes in fandom like there starts off with like an in, with like a like innocent like hey that's an inconsistency to then like let's fucking go after Moses Ingram for mm-hmm. her portrayal of the third sister in Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Um we're going to be doing light Star Wars spoilers fucking obviously. Um also if you aren't caught up on Star Wars, why are you watching this podcast? Moses Ingram. Um let's talk about just the, like her character. I mean, I feel like we have to kind of touch upon it. I mean, okay, first off, What's everyone's opinions in this room? Because I just did an Obi-Wan binge last night, and mm. I did, uh, like, I do the thing at, like, any media that I consume, I can say, fuck fandom, I'm gonna consume, and then I'm not gonna, I'm gonna make judgments for myself. Where are we landing? Uh, so, Reva. 
It was interesting to see her portrayed in that light as a sister from the Imperial Army. And it was kind of weird initially because when they revealed her, I felt her portrayal was more of like a petulant child than an actual threatening force. First and foremost, because we couldn't see, well, she didn't give us an accurate display of what her powers were or what her threat level was. Um, It was more purely intimidation based. Yes. And it's hard to kind of get a reading. Now, we are aware that this sector is supposed to be incredibly dangerous and high ranking. Yeah. But we don't know what they do. We just know they're out to hunt Jedi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As uh, the episodes kind of went forward, we could see that she was driven and she was very fixated on finding Obi-Wan, which, you know, is good. But every time they zoomed on her face, when she did like her parkour chase across the rooftops, it didn't seem relevant to me at the time, Mm -hmm. simply because I didn't really understand what the means to the end was. And I kind of blame the writing for that yeah. more yeah. than the character themselves. Her acting was fine. It was, oh, just, yeah. it was just the... It seemed like an angry child to me. More than a very intimidating force under a high-ranking yeah. character that was legend. On that, I would also... I, to follow up on that, it's... A lot of people have been criticizing the character. Like, even criticism of the character is flawed because... And I was saying to you, yeah. this to you on the way, she is she has yet to be a character. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they have not given her any opportunity. There was one scene with uh, Leia, mm-hmm. young Leia, where she kind of spills like she had a droid. And you think like that would be an opportunity for her to like to maybe to show the foil between young Leia and her maybe grown up as a child, uh, you know, growing up as a youngling, which yeah. is what most people are theorizing. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, like, that small piece of dialogue she's just been acting mm-hmm. like she's only been going from point a to point b on this relentless hunt for obi-wan and yeah, she has to have like the semblance of an arc right and yeah. and it's an arc is fun like an arc doesn't need to happen yet that's fine but a backstory and like understanding why a character is the way that they are is mm-hmm. is necessary for people to connect with them and like you're saying it's on the writers for enabling you know, so, just just the shit to happen because I want to point out a really bad fucking double standard that we have. Because honestly, I think that if she were a white woman, we would not be having this conversation because we would go, "Oh, we just don't know anything about their character yet." No, I, I, yeah, I agree. That's I why I no, like. Uh, that's yeah. why I like her character right now because I'm like, I know we're gonna get, we're gonna mm-hmm. get it, we're gonna, and get like, it. yeah, and. In another situation, like that comes down to um, this question of because we have we have nothing. So is it the writer's responsibility when they know like, oh, we have a character, we have an actress of color playing this character. Do we need to write her stronger at the forefront so that this kind of shit doesn't happen? Or do they stick to their guns and say, no, we have an idea of how to structure it. We want to have her be this character that's covered in mystery you get a couple of glimpses and then in one episode close to the final you actually figure out who she is what she is and then she starts having an arc or that is the episode that her arc happens is that on the writers i i guess that's just I, it might be personal preference for me i like to see the seeds of a character like at least for like i, I feel like all of us are like in the media like uh, we're, landscape, we're all, so we kind of yeah. can 
understand where a character can go just based on like certain dialogue cues, mm-hmm. acting choices, and I just feel like even like that Leia scene that I was talking about, they just didn't give her like that was a time to show like to show the audience like we know that she's annoying, but there's more to it. <laughs> yes. And yeah. that's the, yeah. that's the thing that I that I think a writer needs to do. But there is also a level of trust that an audience member needs to have for writers when they when, when you don't understand when, a character yeah. when you're like I don't understand why this character is annoying and fu- and angry all the time. Well, it's like we're we're, we're not getting done. We're gonna work on it. <laughs> like this is coming out like if this were a bingeable series, maybe we would be having a different conversation. Right. Um, although I don't think that we would, because I do think that, like with the um, with the sequel trilogy and what we had with the um, actress who played Rose and John Boyega, mm-hmm. I think that the fans that see the littlest flaws that they can go after, they're going to go after it and they're going to go after it loudly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of brings up a question: Is Star Wars in particular? Why do we think that fandom like harbors? and fosters so much racism because technically on the front it's supposed to be anti-fascist yes i mean you're asking me why people are why people racist. are racist uh, no but why does that fandom seem to invite the racism racism I, okay that's yeah i have a bit of a thing yeah. for that so historically speaking when we think of the word fan it is a subset of the word fanatic so generally the original fans were sports fans mm. in mainstream culture and that's that was where a lot of people's imaginations could fly because they had a medium in which they could channel their desires through which were the players on the game you create your fantasy football teams and you're able to engage them that way by investing in their success now when that transitioned into uh conventions where people could deal in Star Wars and Star Trek and all kinds of D&D even there came more of a idealism yeah. with that and coming from a space where that was stigmatized to begin with having an imagination wasn't something that was lucrative in most cases so now that this has become a mainstream concept of investing in a fictional universe that you kind more or less see yourself in people tend to seek ownership of those spaces mm. and seek um, kind of a gatekeeping mentality in that this is the world that I create in my own image. Interesting. And when we think about how Star Wars began, mm. who was portrayed the most? Yeah. As the hero. This is exactly what I was going to go get into. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking that because we had this very white, just palette that was the original trilogy Mm -hmm. that just all the white people well not all but the very racist white people were just like this is mine in particular yes because when you think of the contrast as well Mm -hmm. the heroes are humanoid and white the side characters are aliens almost exclusively yeah Mm. so you don't with the exception of you know lando calrissian yeah um and even then he was a side character that was destined to be yeah Yeah. Yeah, destined to be a despicable rogue and ahsoka only really recently Mm -hmm. got to the point where she was considered a main character left by the fans 
Pirates. Mm -hmm. And they, that's a more uh, recent rendition yeah. of the Star Wars, quote unquote, reimagining. Mm -hmm. And that's where people begin to get threatened. That's where the whole, you ruined my childhood, comes into play. Mm. <laughs> is that my childhood looked like this, and anything other than that is an it's abomination. Not. It's not canon. It's not correct. So just like, it's basically just linked to the the just human capacity to change. Mm -hmm. and to, okay. okay. Well, oh, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, we covet these things because they are personal to us. So that leads into the major conversation around gatekeeping that, and especially within Star Wars, because I feel like a lot of the gatekeeping within Star Wars is sexist and racist <laughs> from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. It's every time that like it's like no you're not allowed to be a fan like i mean or prove that you're a you, fan well every woman i know that is a fan of star wars mm -hmm. has had to at some point prove that they were a fan mm -hmm. to some boy yep. like that's just a thing that happens yep. um and then i think it goes double for people of color yeah well actually i feel like i haven't seen i haven't seen people of color get challenge i've seen people of color mostly get threatened on the internet I mean, it, when they both, say they're fans it depends on the property more i feel star wars less so i feel like i've never been like again this is just me personally mm -hmm. yeah i'm only speaking from my experience but i've never been challenged on my uh like respect or my you know admiration for yeah star wars it's always been like um it's like shows or uh like I guess like more obscure like nerd stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would um, say anime actually has anime. Anime so has a big um, a kind of it has a big gatekeeping mentality where like there's a there's specifically a point where there's people of color anime fans and there are white anime fans mm -hmm. and there is this line that's drawn between them and also like. I unfortunately did not get to pull up my research on this, so I might cut it out of the podcast. But I had started like following a couple things where people were like being like, oh, there's like a bunch of like racist um and, like dog whistles that are like in the anime fandom in the in the anime world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I mean the fact is like 4chan started out as a place to talk oh, about boy. anime. <laughs> That's what it was. Yep. And we know how that happens. There's a, why is our why are so many things in nerd culture also in the alt right pipeline? Oh, <laughs> I don't oh, get it. Uh, which um, is which is also which is and as you were just saying, like black culture as it relates to uh, like media, yeah. like, we've just kind of created like our own subculture, like within yes. our fandom and appreciation for media. Yeah. Like you're just saying, like black anime fandom versus white anime fandom. Two different worlds. Two, completely different. Actually, funny that you mentioned that. In July, um, there's a convention called BlurredCon. Which is made exclusively Black NerdCon. Black NerdCon. Oh, I got it. okay. Well, yeah, you just got me excited it's for something. It's in Arlington, Virginia. I'm not sponsored by them at all. I'm just kind of <laughs> saying this, but, but if you want to, no. I mean, if you want, I'll be there. But um, <laughs> it's in Arlington, Virginia, from July 8th to July 11th, mm -hmm. and it's basically I went for the first time in 2019. Mm -hmm. And it was an experience that I've never had before attending conventions. Like, you know, bigger conventions yeah. are predominantly white. Yeah. So going to an, it's not exclusively all back. It's more catered toward yeah. people of color. Yeah. Yes. So anyone is allowed to come. It's just more so catered toward people of color. Yeah. And it was like going to a family reunion where everybody dressed in their favorite fandom yeah. character. We had boob trucks. 
we had line dancing, we had salsa classes, and we had a rave with Baltimore club music. Are you kidding? And it smelled like cocoa butter all weekend. It was an amazing experience that you really don't get anywhere else in fandom. You mean it didn't smell like sweat? Buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I just, and it's in the heat of the summer too. So it's kind of like the magic was there. I'm getting, I'm I'm getting way too excited. (laughs) (laughs) Abraham's like, could we not do Comic-Con for our little, honestly, yeah, like, (laughs) Comic-Con. I say all that to say that Sometimes there are situations where people need to create their own spaces so Mm, that they feel safe celebrating the things that bring them joy. And unfortunately, a lot of fandoms don't promote that kind of expression without pushback pushback or just blatant aggression. So the funny thing is that that is still technically speaking a form of gatekeeping. Yes. And... When gatekeeping is used, I feel like it's mostly used in a negative connotation. Mm. Even in academia, it's mostly used. Well, actually, in academia, it is used neutrally. It's (laughs) for the most part. But the conversation around gatekeeping in the modern media sense has sort of migrated its way into academia. Originally, the only gatekeepers that we were concerned with were the people that decided what was published. So it was kind of more of a new more of a neutral term it could be censorship yeah it could be it could be applied to censorship it could also be applied to the people that like decided to give oprah a program like that's still a form of gatekeeping like a network decided to give a black woman a show that's that was a big fucking deal Mm -hmm. um but when we talk about it within fandom it it usually takes on a more negative connotation because of i mean like Again, the fact that like you have to create your own subculture to feel safe within the anime communities, mm-hmm. and I think, um, and like the same thing goes for comic books and like Star Wars. Like I think Urban Jedi, oh, Urban Force, excuse me. I'm still not used to the name change at this point. We're gonna get there. It's though. gonna take a minute, guys, yeah. but you'll remember. <laughs> it's Urban Force, um, but Urban Force, we have the uh, like you guys have. It's essentially just people of color, and it's black nerd, mm-hmm. and it's for Star Wars, which I think is one of the reasons why, like, it's a very fun and good organization because we Star Wars doesn't really have that exactly. So uh, that that wasn't supposed to be a plug on you guys. That was supposed to be a compliment, and also bringing up a point of like that's like an example of this having to exist. Yep. And to kind of piggyback off of that. One of the more interesting pieces of like gatekeeping communities and fandoms is when people feel they're not getting the mm, type of content from their fandoms that they're not riding for. Mm-hmm. That's when you get fan fiction. Yeah. That's when you get these. Uh... Well, I oh, mean, no, it's, it's kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's like the fan portrayals of actual franchises and communities. Right. And like. <clears throat> Think of bronies. Wait, why didn't we put this in the copy? Yes, let's talk about bronies. So, (laughs) I'm going to tell you from my background, everyone, um, this was a difficult topic for me to broach, simply because of personal biases. Uh, But that's the part of my field. When you're in mental health, you must be open and provide safe places for everyone who comes calling. Even, even, even the, bronies. the bronies. Now, I have nothing against the bronies specifically. It's just certain individuals and their portrayals. But I say all that to say. Yes. When it comes to 
the My Little Pony franchise. It was originally marketed toward young girls. Yeah. But then older <laughs> gentlemen that also appreciate the concepts decided that they were going to create their own group yeah. for it called... Yep. Bronies, the bro ponies. No, I know. In I, fact, you just saying bronies literally just made me go into like, it, a, like I just a non style. Like <laughs> I, I just got transported back to like 2014. I've read some of that fan fiction. That's a yeah. That's a fucking time. Yes. Um, I mean, like, oh God, we're going into deep internet lore right now. I'm like, there, there's a spectrum, and but that's what I want to say. Is normally when it comes to these sub fan cultures, there's a spectrum that things exist on. You've yeah. got Rule 34, yep. which is at the very far end. And for those of you who don't know, I Google cautiously it. encourage you to look Google it up. It. At one end, it's Rule 34. At the other, yeah. it's, you know, everything perfectly innocent. We're all here together to have a good time. Yeah, yeah. And anything can happen in the middle. Yeah. I guess, like, talking about, um, like, fan fiction, or I guess just people like going off and creating their own media like one of the ways that like people just like try to like insert themselves into the storytelling is just by reshaping just stories yeah yeah and like i uh, we were talking about my hero recently yeah i I don't know you watch my hero Mm -hmm. one thing that like the fandom does which i simultaneously understand appreciate and get tired of Mm -hmm. like it's a weird it's it's a weird mix yeah is um the lgbtq shipping on one hand, shipping uh, between characters and wanting gay representation is great. It's great. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that at all. And people should be writing that more. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, bashing authors because they are not doing something and they are not actively promoting, I guess, discrimination. Like, if they're not actively promoting hate speech, but they're also not actively promoting LGBTQ representation, gotcha. that isn't necessarily an excuse for them to get death threats. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that's a controversial take. I, well, I mean, like, the whole thing with My Hero is because, and, like, the same thing happened with Harry Potter. Anytime you have a world where everyone has unique powers or, like, there's this sort of in-crowded and they're all different, queer yeah. people are going to migrate to it. Yeah. So that's the reason why... Harry Potter's following fucking plummeted when we realized that J.K. Rowling is not a good person in his trans book. Um, Because that kind of story really appeals to young queer kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what we grew up with. Um, And then My Hero is the same thing Mm -hmm. and you're gonna get hit with all of the queer fan fiction. But the author never lent into it specifically with the characters that they were upset about. Yeah. So I believe... It's Deku and Bakugo. Yeah, Deku and Bakugo, which is also, by the way, I don't know who needs to hear it. That's a bad ship. That's like an abusive relationship. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) That might be too far. Maybe... I'm sorry. Maybe, like, if you want good representation, maybe a healthy queer relationship. Enemies to lovers, man. People... Enemies to lovers is... A bad take! Oh, and so is, uh, what the heck was that called? There was a Korean manga. It's called Killing Stalking. But anyway, it was basically a bad take. Okay. It was yeah. two, um... We'll put it up on the screen. Yeah, two queer individuals that engage in a very unhealthy relationship dynamic, but people made it into this romantic yeah. portrayal 
of like being able to struggle of mm-hmm. essentially the concept of struggle of which for those of you who don't know is basically the harder you fight in a relationship despite negative influences of abuse yeah. or um you know any form of conflict mm-hmm. the harder you fight to stay together the better the love will be yes oh. and that's the exact wrong thing yes that people fu- we, and uh, well here's the thing we grew up with media that taught us that that was how it was supposed to be mm-hmm. yeah all every rom-com is based off of that idea mm-hmm. so like you it be, and i think that's the big issue is like a lot of writers don't know how to do romance without conflict yep mm-hmm. and the idea of a non-conflicting romance is like i mean the reason why they don't write it is because it's not engaging to read mm-hmm. but the issue with that being our example of romance in media is that's what we love map to when we're young and we're reading these things or we're watching these thank things. you for yeah. using that terminology by the way i, I, I don't <laughs> I, I did media studies. I know. I know my stuff. Here we go. I, I, by the by the way, Kelly, I, you are a great guest. I just want to. I just want to <laughs> put that out there. I'm having a great conversation right now. This is a fun. This, this is Thank a very you. engaging one. Um, but like, yeah, <laughs> the, like I think that even though like there's obviously some toxic elements that come out of that, yeah, mm. I think it starts from a. It can it be can, a positive. thing. It can yeah. be. Yes, very much so. But there's also just like negative mm. like very just like like we're going back to star wars yeah we're like i i don't know if you're familiar with a tiktoker by the name of soups i, um, I know exactly the thread you're talking so about there is a, a a person on tiktok his mm-hmm. name is soups he does uh like just general nerd reviews speculation theories uh trailer reviews and everything like that he reviewed the first two episodes of obi-wan and he said I like Obi-Wan, I I like Star Wars, but I am disappointed by Obi-Wan Kenobi. I wanted more prequel stuff. I wanted flashbacks to Obi-Wan and Anakin. I wanted cooler lightsaber fights. I wanted uh, a scene where Obi-Wan takes off, like, and does a 360 flip and uses the force. Like, they, and that's an example of just negative criticism and story shaping Mm -hmm. because it I don't like it when people criticize a story not for what it is but for what they want it to be agreed I cannot stand that that's the worst type of criticism you can give Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's not criticism that's 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 fan fiction it it is it's wish fulfillment yeah like Mm -hmm. you're you're not actually engaging with the media when you do that. You're saying, oh, but this is a story mm-hmm. and it's not exactly what I wanted. Meanwhile, like, you can't... I, I do think that there are legitimate writing problems with Obi-Wan. Well, yeah. That- like, there are legitimate things that you could go after in a review. You could... Yeah. Y- you can say that, like, some of the dialogue is a little clunky or overwritten. Well, you can- or some of the characters are, like, underportrayed and not engaging. Yeah, but that's different than... Th- there's a difference between saying, like the thought of this is good, but the execution is not good, and here's why A, B, C, D, E, whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then there's another thing going like, this whole idea, garbage. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> and that's you can't do it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, because fandoms are based off of ideas, right? Yeah. So the fact that we have a concept that we're trying to bring to life in a fantastical medium, using a fantastical medium. Star yeah. Wars is in a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. 
That means anything within the limits of our imagination is possible. Yeah. But of course, it's not quote unquote canon unless the creators, you know, produce it yeah, or right. the network agrees that this is what's going to be happening. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the issues that come from that are the fact that people don't seem to be able to connect the difference between their wishful thinking versus what's actually being portrayed on screen. Okay, and yes. that's a lot of their personal projection of their idealism. That, that goes back to what you were saying earlier mm -hmm. about people being tied to their nostalgia and like trying to, mm -hmm. and, and why gatekeeping exists. Yeah. That, that just probably is another form of it. Just, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. And I, I do want to go back to like, because when we're taking a look at like what people want to see in this and then the way that we start seeing these phantoms forming, we also start getting into this world where people will start actively misconstruing the media in order to again start wish fulfilling mm -hmm. for their whatever preconceived idea. So like Star Wars is a great example because, and this is the thing that baffles me about Star Wars and a lot of people ask this question and you very eloquently answered in the beginning is, why does a story about anti-fascism mm. invite all the racist? And that's because I will, like Star Wars is not explicitly anti-racist. And a oh, yeah. lot of people, mm -hmm. and we, we have to take a moment. I know that we're going to be having another video about this coming out later. Fascism is not, is a loosely defined term. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it's actually very easy for anyone to project any sort of ideal onto an anti-fascist message. Unless it's like explicitly also anti-racist yes. or mm -hmm. anti- uh, Or anti- or anti-sexist. Yeah. However, the fascist, because fascism is just a list of attributes that leads into an authoritarian state where other people that are designated as the other are taken out of the picture. Mm -hmm. um, and Star Wars, does anyone here know what the other people were? Uh, the ones that are- Because I thought it used the... to be the aliens, but no. that's not the fucking case. No, no it's it's the it's the ones that aren't, uh, the, the ones that don't have- <laughs> <laughs> There's no there other in no Star Wars. Other, no, so. there isn't. But and, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, no. I I think that that's that's just the problem is that in Star Wars, there's no actual anti-fascist representation other than the fact that they have an insignia that you could kind of project a swastika on, mm -hmm. and that they dress and act like Nazis. Yeah. yeah. But that is it. This is true. Yeah. And also, another point about Star Wars that I don't like, and this is the newer trilogy too, mm. there was a recent video that came out by a creator uh, called the Cosmonaut Variety Hour. Uh, he did a breakdown of the sequel trilogy, and one thing that he kind of pointed out that I was baffled by, which is that in the later two movies, there is not an active war being the only time that we see a village or a town or a community like getting taken over, people getting killed, like actual author uh, an author authoritarian, authoritarian yeah. regime acting is in the first scene in the first movie. Yep. Every other time, it's just stormtrooper, a couple stormtroopers occupying a planet, mm -hmm. or or just just space battles just happening. Yeah. There's never like an active point. Where people go, oh, these guys are bad because they're doing this, this, this. Yeah. In the sequel trilogy, they're just bad because mm -hmm. they're bad. Yes. Yeah. 
like there's no real uh, objective other than I don't know. Get rid of the get rebels. Rid of, yeah. Like and but if you're not a part of the story, like you know, mm-hmm. if you haven't been with it the whole time, we yeah. don't know who the rebels are or why they're doing what they're doing. All we know is that there is a big group that's in charge and they're trying to maintain this control over yeah. everything. Yeah. And they've got people who don't want that for some reason. Yeah. And they're risking their lives to achieve, you know, confidential information so that they can sabotage things here, there, and there. Yeah. Even in the most recent episode when, um, of uh, Obi-Wan, where they were talking about the path. Yeah. And yeah. this, I, I, it's akin to the Underground Railroad in my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly what it is. It's essentially the fact that they're trying to ferry these people who are essentially being hunted because of their Force-sensitive ability yeah. and taking them to new places where they can get new identities and start life anew. But who does that really help in the long run? You're saving like maybe a handful of very potentially powerful individuals who are being hunted, mm-hmm. but the rest of the universe is still subject to the tyranny of yeah, yeah. the big bads. And we don't know why. And that's... I mean, this is the reason why like when people talk about like Star Wars having always been silly, this is like the main thing. Well, I actually don't think so. I think even in the even in the other movies, like even in the original movie, Luke, his whole fa- like his parents get burned alive. Yeah, like they destroy a whole planet. Mm-hmm. But like, the thing is that we still don't know what the Empire's endgame well, is, other than like, oh, we're gonna kill but, people. But regardless, action, mm-hmm. like an actionable thing where we can point to something that they do, do and, say, and be that's like, that's wrong. bad. In the later ones, they're just, it, and this rings to what you were saying just a little while ago. Anti-fascism on its own is not enough. Mm-hmm. No. You can't just say, like, oh, these people want to control, and that's why they're bad. Yeah. That in and of itself is not enough to... Well, I have an example from our channel mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about, um, and we do talk about a lot. Attack on Titan has taken, and spoil, major spoilers for Attack on Titan, has taken on a major, what's supposed to be an anti-fascist message. Mm-hmm. The issue is that because Attack on Titan has to take is trying to take this nuanced approach where it kind of turns into fascist versus fascist at the end, mm-hmm. a lot of people have migrated to believing that the main character, Aaron, who is essentially about to per- perpetuate, activate, words... They gravitate towards Aaron, who is essentially about to commit the greatest genocide that's ever been seen. Mm. And a lot of the fandom actively believes that he's right because he's initially fighting against fascism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he's enabling fascism against fascism. And that's the show is supposed to be about why cycles of hatred are bad and what it could lead to. Yeah. But because media literacy among fans is going to be abysmal you end up with the death of the author situation where people start writing these things and projecting whatever they want onto it and again white people really like anime we talked about this already it's no mistake that the people that are like Aaron did nothing wrong are usually the people that are also going after Moses Inc. There is a fucking Venn diagram there, and it's damn close to being a circle. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. I got another... I, I, <laughs> I, that was very well stated. Yeah. I can't. I, I've been thinking about this for, like, actual weeks. Yeah. Uh, we're working on a video essay. I just can't... Yeah. Well, yeah. I, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. It's... 
normally there are patterns in yeah. thinking when it comes to people's value systems and what they attribute their personal beliefs to. Yeah. And it's very possible to find that correlation between their beliefs and how they spend their leisure time. Yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> if real life is not projecting what I want, mm. I'm going to project what I want into my fans. Yeah. Yep. And it becomes a problem for the reasons that you stated. Because real world and leisure time fantasy tend to blur. So the question is, we have other people. We, we have a third party that we barely touched on. Mm -hmm. The people making the content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with Attack on Titan, like um, Isayama, the creator, has come out and said that the ending, which essentially a lot of it backed up a lot of what the fans wanted. He, he's said, he's come out and said like, hey, I don't think that this was the best ending. Like, I don't think that this is the definitive thing, and he considers the anime, however that ends, it's probably going to be slightly different because of how he feels about the ending of the manga. Yeah. it's He's come out and, like, said, like, hey, I don't think that this is how it should be. Like, I feel like a couple things got lost in the sauce. We're going to go back to the drawing board for a little bit, and maybe a couple things might get switched. Um, but the question is, is, like, how... With Star Wars, this is a big thing that has had almost no nuance in how its toxic fandoms have been treated. Mm -hmm. So, Abraham, I know that you had a lot that you wanted to talk about with this. Yeah, I guess, like, as far as, like, the, the people that make it, Yeah, uh, one, I guess going back to what I said earlier about just hollow, like, in Star Wars, hollow fascism is what yeah. I just call that. Mm -hmm. The reason why, and I think this is just a personal theory that I have, the reason why Disney does not want to do like to actually commit to the ideas that fascism represents is because it contradicts their bottom line. It ironically, the people that are enabling toxic fandom mm -hmm. are the ones that are driving Disney's dollars. I will agree. And, you know, they're the ones that are going to be buying the figurines. They're going to be seeing all the movies multiple times. They're, and even if they're hate watching, even it if they're ha even if they're hate watching it, which mm -hmm. to them money's money, mm -hmm. yeah. and you know if you're asking me like who, you know like who's responsible like for fandom and just like who it is, ultimately, I would actually say even though like company is like responsible to an extent to you know acknowledge that fandoms are toxic, I do still think that it does rely on or come back to the fandom. Self-correction is important. Yeah. It's because, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe scrap that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, this is, I mean, that's a million fucking dollar question if, if there's someone that is like wholly responsible. It, there's no one that's wholly responsible. I think it's both comp company, companies not vo vocalizing John Boyega as like an actual part of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. That was shitty. That they yeah, didn't say anything. That was when, bad. Same thing with um well they just said like racism is bad when Moses was mm. getting getting hate. And then Ewan McGregor was like, hey, fucking stop. Yeah. And and I really appreciated that. Yeah. Like that was in my opinion. I think that the people who were involved in the production. Mm -hmm. It's more or less, not their responsibility solely. No. But as advocates, like what Ewan McGregor did was phenomenal. Because yeah. people who idolize him 
follow what he says, whether we like that fact or not. These people do have power and influence over the fandom. That's a, yeah. And so these are the people that we pay to see when we go to Comic Cons and take mm-hmm. photos of and like have those little moment to moment exchanges. Mm-hmm. And it changes people's lives because yeah. they internalize that and they're like, I got a chance to meet you and McGregor. Oh my goodness, my Obi Wan. And it's, <laughs> a, it's a lovely feeling and yep. people cherish that. And it does change the course of people's lives sometimes depending on how invested they are. Yeah. So to hear your hero say, stop being fucking racist. It you can, can you can swear on here, it's fine. Yeah, you oh. can swear. We're not you're not being censored. Oh, I'm okay. allowed? Okay. Well stop being fucking racist. You're allowed to just be. And by him backing his co co Co-star. Co-star. Yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Co-star. <laughs> by him showing solidarity with the people he works with and yeah showing an example that this is not acceptable within the fandom it definitely sets in it lets people know if you're going to be here this is our standard yeah Yeah. which that's kind of why i have a problem with disney just going like racism isn't tolerated without actually getting into the meat and potatoes of what's happening why it's wrong Mm -hmm. and where they stand Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day Disney is the top media corporation in the entire world. Mm. They're making every single movie on the fucking planet. They have all the money, the hiring capabilities. They hire all the VFX artists. They control media in Hollywood and around the world. Mm. They have a responsibility to shape public opinion. If they have the power, which they do, I don't yeah. I don't think they should have it, but if they do, <laughs> but if but while they do, they need to use it responsibly. Yeah, uh, five corporations own everything that you watch, by the way, including this. Um, mm. Oh, yeah, YouTube. We're on YouTube, yeah. yeah it's owned by uh, Alphabet. So, oh. yeah, uh, I will say on, there is example of what we're talking about, though. So, like, co-stars and people of really important opinion getting up there and, like, shape, reshaping the fit and, like, going out against the fandom. Mm-hmm. I... Just to end things on a positive note, I do want to talk about the Dungeons and Dragons fandom because I feel like if we're looking at a fandom mm. that has done a complete 180 from the kind of people associated in it and the kind of activities that they engage with, oh yeah, that is it. Yeah, we went from and you can watch our uh, two episodes ago now uh, our Dungeons and Dragons episode where we go back and we plot out exactly like how it became successful. A big part of it is the fact that new people were invited into the space. And a lot of that had to do with when 5th edition came out, which is suddenly you have this new, much more accessible tool, but also the figures that were spearheading this between um, Dan Harmon, Matt Mercer, and essentially every writer, including the people that write Stranger Things, every Mm. writer in Hollywood, most of them, were nerds that played Dungeons and Dragons when they were kids. And then suddenly, when this is becoming more mainstream, we're having examples of it in actual play world that include a ton of LGBTQ representation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that goes to Critical Role, but it also goes to, um, it it also goes to uh, Dungeon Daddies. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of a couple other ones. Um, Brendan Lee Mulligan's show. Dimension the, 20. Dimension 20. Mm-hmm. And Lee called it the Adventure Zone. Adventure Show Zone's another good one. But we have a lot of queer representation all of a sudden within D&D. And then that, what used to be a very homophobic, straight white man's nerd world, was fucking shattered. And they're not getting it back. It's ours now. Well, yeah. Like, it's like, it's weird that the, the dissonance between 
and you were, I think you were saying this earlier, it's a world where anything can happen except for people of color, <laughs> uh, queer people, uh, women, mm-hmm. uh, just like any, like anybody that isn't straight. Uh, I'm sorry, but tieflings have to be gay though. There's no... <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, tieflings. What? <laughs> what? Oh, you don't you don't know that you don't know that joke. I'm glad Callie got it. Oh, okay. God. I don't know this joke, but I'll <laughs> I'll have to look it up after taping. I was just you said it was such an authority. I I feel like it has to be true. It's true. Is it okay? Cool. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, on that, but the point is. Fandom can bounce back and can become on top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The point is, don't be racist. Don't be fucking <laughs> racist. Mm-hmm. And on the message of don't be racist, I think that's where we're going to end the show for today. So <laughs> Good message. Thank you all so much for sticking by. This is Callie from Melanin Muses and Urban Force. We have those links down in the comments. Well, not in the comments, in the description <laughs> and all that other stuff. And uh, if you want to watch a little bit more about Dungeons and Dragons, you should click the video that's going to be popping up in the end card right about now. Okay, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. Hey, it's Ben here. If you liked that, please leave us a review on your favorite podcaster choice. And if you want to help us out, just like tell your friends, I guess. Honestly, the best way that we grow is just by people telling other people about the channel and the podcast apps. Thank you guys so much and uh, click one of these videos. Bye.